I'm Jeff. I'm Kia. And I'm Craig. And, and we just watched Tales from the Crypt. 1972. It's true. We, we did all watch it. This is the early 70s, Tales from the Crypt. Kia, this was your choice. Tell us why you picked it. Well, I picked it because we watched it. Craig and I watched it a little while ago, and we really liked it. And I said, this will be fine for the podcast. Hence, I picked it for the podcast. That's very direct, <laughs> very true. And I was totally ignorant of this movie's existence until pretty recently, and I noticed it on Amazon Prime, and this was like, you know, maybe a year ago, but maybe not even quite that long ago, and I was always kind of curious about it, and Kia chose it one night, just randomly, to, to watch, and we both were pleased with it, mm-hmm. so. Kia, why don't you give us, oh, did you just pop a beer over there, Jeff? <laughs> what? <laughs> no, it's a soda I guess uh, we, we need to note as uh, <laughs> That we have the past few episodes We are doing this remotely Because of the ongoing uh, issues In our world today In May 2020 So Jeff is not in the studio Here at Half-Ass Horror Headquarters um, So if you notice any oddness That is partially why The rest is because we're all kind of odd <laughs> you beat me to it Oh, So Kia, give us the synopsis of this lovely film, Tales from the Crypt Well, this is a synopsis from Wikipedia, actually Ooh. It says, five strangers go with a tourist group to view old catacombs Separated from the main group, the strangers find themselves in a, in a room with a mysterious crypt keeper Who details how each of them may die Ooh. It's very, very direct, very true. Mm-hmm. Um, so, we, Jeff, we both uh, briefly mentioned our history, very brief history with uh, Tales from the Crypt, 1972. What is your history with this film? Um, I've heard of it, and I know that I knew that uh, Peter Cushing was in it. Yeah. And I, I had seen what he looked like as the zombie. Uh, mm. Spoiler! That's about it. <laughs> But it is, it is a very iconic. It's a very iconic, iconic image in, in horror, horror. If you, you know, if you're familiar with it, so. Yeah, and uh, it's just that's kind of the only image I knew from the movie for yeah. years, and it's like, but I'd never seen it or like sought it out or anything. So. Yeah. What well, and uh, it, you know we had the privilege of watching it a second time. It's currently, as of this recording, streaming on Tubi. If you want to check it out for free. And if you're in our region, because <clears throat> I don't know how that works outside <laughs> of the United States. But, um, uh, you know, watching it the second time, I didn't realize, first first go, you know, obviously I knew who Peter Cushing was, but everyone else I was pretty unfamiliar with. Um, and I didn't realize that um, it's, it's directed by a pretty prestigious cinematographer, um, Freddie Francis, because he, he was the DP for... Um, Elephant Man and like the straight story and glory, like all kinds oh, wow. of really, you know, cinematic, uh, highbrow movies and everything. Mm-hmm. Um, Cape Fear, I think the remake that Martin Scorsese did. So, I mean, he's a pretty wow. well-rounded, um, cinematographer. And, uh, he also directed an episode of Tales from the Crypt, uh, for HBO. So he got oh, to really? double down on the Tales from the Crypt franchise. 
Do you know which episode it was? I do not. Hmm. I probably should. Who, who is this? Uh, Freddie Francis, the guy that directed this movie. Um, It'd be cool if it was the, uh, the Santa Claus episode. Yeah, which I'm pretty sure someone's going to railroad me for this, but I'm pretty sure that's the first episode of Tales from the Crypt, the HBO show, is that. And I I want to say it's Richard Donner that directed that, but I, I could be wrong. Oh, yeah. Um, since he was kind of the one of the forerunners, him and Zemeckis, for, for that show. While you're oh, searching for that, I'll note that uh, I don't know if Tubi has changed or, uh, or if they did something special for this movie, but I, f- I feel like... Other times I've watched movies on there, and they just put commercials in like every ten or fifteen minutes, regardless of where it is. Mm. So somebody will be in like in the middle of a sentence, and it'll cut to the commercial. But when I watched it last night, it the commercial breaks came like at you know decent spots where it'd be like at the end of a scene, so it yeah. wasn't cutting off any action or anything. So well, yeah, we, we watched with that. we watched it also on Tubi, and uh, we're pleasantly surprised by how. Yeah, you know the the commercials weren't overwhelming, or yeah, I totally agree. Yeah. Um, I did find it. Yeah. Uh, Freddie Francis also directed um, season seven, episode two, episode Last Respects, which was the same story as "Wish You Were Here" segment of this movie, "Tales from the Crypt." So, oh. and, I so thought he, that one was familiar. Yeah, because I was like, I remember. Oh well, I don't no, want to f- get well, into it yet. Let's do a very brief how we felt about it. Uh, talk and what are, you know what we liked about it, and then kind of break off into a spoiler filled talk about the stories and everything because it'd be really tough to discuss this movie without revealing spoilers and plot points and stuff like that. Um, obviously, I mean you already know listening to this. This is uh, based on the EC comics from the fifties that were very controversial at the time. Uh, they were aimed at kids, but they were very gruesome and. Uh, for that era and everything, and a lot of parents got upset that their children were reading uh, this sort of malarkey. So um, it's kind of interesting that in 1972, they're not that far removed from all that stuff, too. Uh, you know what I mean? Like, it's, it's kind of, yeah, it's like a recent memory for, for a lot of those people making the movie. Um, so it is anthology style. It's loosely based on comic books that actually were published. Um, I don't think all of them are literally from Tales from the Crypt. Some of them are just from EC comics, like uh, Vault of Horror and everything. Mm-hmm. Um, but Kia, kick us off, since this is your movie. Give us some shallow thoughts, without spoilers, <laughs> about how you felt. Um, I liked it. I mean, I thought the segments were fun. I thought they were, the acting was good, and... I think the first time we watched it, the the Peter Cushing segment, which I think is called Poetic Justice, mm. um, maybe that inspired the name of the Tupac Janet Jackson movie. Anyway. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> but I think the first time Craig and I watched it, we were really moved by that segment. It was just very, when we get into it, it was very, um, just very sad and, you know, it's, you know. It was moving. I think on the second time watching it, for me, it was less moving, mm. um, but still good. No, I liked all of them. I liked the the Crypt Keeper yeah. guy. I mean, I know when you think of the Crypt Keeper, you think of the HBO mummified. Sure, like a puppet, animatronic yeah, character. But, yeah. And he's funny, and he's mm. played for laughs. But I like the serious Crypt Keeper mm-hmm. I think they clearly tried to make this movie for adults. <laughs> yeah, it, <laughs> Uh, to a point, yeah, and, and 
for what it's worth, I think the Crypt Keeper in this film is a little bit closer to the comic book version. Like, he, he traditionally in the comics is just uh, an old white guy in, in robes, so <laughs> they, they didn't go far from the source material. I, I'm not really sure why they made such a drastic change for HBO, maybe just to make it a little bit more fun and heightened, and like you said, they were playing it a little bit more for laughs, kind of leaning into the, the, the comic book silliness of the stories. Um, I mean, I think watching it the second time, especially, I noticed uh, the moralizing of it a little bit more. It's kind of like, you know, uh, bad things happening to bad people type of situations um, th- that are so shallow and, and straight line. But, I mean, they were comics designed for kids in the 50s, and they adapted them somewhat faithfully, I would think. So uh, it might be a little much to expect in these really quick stories that they dig deep into human emotions and realistic <laughs> expectations and stuff like that. So um, how about you, Jeff? How did you feel first time out checking this one? Um, I liked it, too. It was uh, th- There were parts of it that felt like they were a little slow, mm. but I think that's also just part of the the time you know like we've kind of gotten used to a certain pacing of movies uh but particularly in that fifth segment there were parts of that that felt like it was going a little slow but mm. I, I liked uh, i liked the acting it was really good um i thought it it was a great looking movie uh they definitely five good stories i uh, i don't know i thought i thought it was cool how they kind of tied it all together in the end and yeah it's yeah a that, good movie the 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 wraparound story is pretty fun. You know, the Crypt Keeper is, is literally, you know, taking characters from each story on kind of a tour and, and kind of pointing out to them why they might be on this tour and everything. Mm-hmm. So, well, let's just cut this fucker off and uh, we're going to go straight in, straight into spoiler territory and describing each segment. Again, if you haven't seen this, it's on Tubi. Check it out. Um, Who's going to be the first to spoil the first segment is And All Through the House. Yes. Starring the legendary, iconic Miss Joan Collins. Yes. Who was in a recent yeah. um, American Horror Story. Yeah. And she looked amazing. Yeah. And she's close to 90. Yeah. And wow. she was, she still looks good. Yeah, and she still seemed to have it. I like, think she's she like 88 or 87. I just yeah. looked her up. I said smart. Yeah. I, meant, I meant sharp. <laughs> I didn't mean, <laughs> that sounded kind of horrible. <laughs> Um, and she was, uh, she was almost forty mm. uh, in Tales from the Crypt in the movie we watched. Yeah, was, I didn't even consider she's that. Very that totally attractive. makes sense. Like but. before you zoom in on her face, she kind of has an uh, Elizabeth Taylor mm. look to her. You would almost think it's Elizabeth Taylor, but then you look at her face and go, "Okay, that's Joan yeah. Collins." Um, have all of, <laughs> I thought to myself, I was like, I bet Jeff will think she's really attractive. Really? Yeah. And you were correct. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, and this is a very straight line story of a woman that kills her husband for insurance money. Uh, it's Christmas Eve. And uh, as she's doing the deed and, and get, getting ready to clean up the body, there's an, a radio report of a... Uh, madman has escaped as I guess prison and I think it's uh, an asylum an asylum and uh, he is going on a kill spree and he is wearing a Santa Claus outfit and almost instantly after hearing that report he is outside the window <laughs> I mean it's just, yeah. there is no beating around the bush with this thing and uh, yeah. it's it's pretty great layering of 
she is dealing with this crazy guy outside of her house that is legit a killer and she can't call for help because she's killed her husband and the body is in the house. So it's kind of a fun back and forth of her dealing with both issues at once and trying to keep her daughter who's upstairs from waking up and going downstairs and discovering her dead father. Um, I also think it's cool like how the, the husband was murdered because he's just settling in and he's reading the newspaper and his life is great. And the newspaper is like covering his face and then mm. it just gets sprayed with blood and you go, Oh, what happened? And so I yeah. thought that was kind of, you don't actually see him getting right struck or whatever. It's that's kind of actually an interesting point because, um, for the most part, there's a couple of moments that have some gore and some pretty gnarly special effects. But for the most part, there is implied violence, whereas the Tales from the Crypt that they did in the, for HBO is hallmark great special effects and over-the-top violence and everything. It's kind of noted for that, and that's part of the fun of that show. So they're drastically different in that way, I and the, guess. And the gore in this movie is not, I mean, the the, the, the blood is too red. It's, yeah. I, I think even yeah, a kid, like yeah. Yeah, I think even a kid would not be disturbed by it because it's just so... It's very hammer horror in that way, where it's like nail polish red, um, right. how the, the viscera looks and everything. Um, uh, uh, real quick, too, about the, the husband in this story. He's also extremely sweet in the beginning. We don't have yeah. any instance of like why she would want to kill him other than he's rich and she Greed. wants the money. Yeah. Does he say anything? I, I think he uh, is excited because he's going to give her like a nice ring oh, or yeah, something like he that. Has a so he's like, "Oh, I can't wait to give this to my lovely wife." And he, you know, he puts <laughs> he puts the present under the oh. under the tree. He's a very sweet older guy, oh. and then oh. <laughs> just gets straight up murdered. Yeah. So, and it's <laughs> which is kind of funny. This, yeah, <laughs> the movie was made in like the early '70s, so I I really enjoyed seeing the inside of their house and all kind of like mm. what at the time yeah. was very modern looking and everything. And I was like, oh, that looks cool. And I, I love the phone that she calls on. That has the yeah. dial on the bottom. Yeah, Kia noted <laughs> the same thing. Yeah, <laughs> I think it's interesting like, also to mention that this movie is—it's British. Oh, I didn't even think to so, note that. Yeah, it's, it's definitely from the UK. The crypt, yeah. I think of America, but like everything's British, so it's kind of mm. interesting that they got to it first. I guess. Yeah. yeah. Well, I was going to say the. So after, after she kills her husband, and then later on she's trying to move the body to make it look like an accident. She pushes his body down these steps yeah. and it was, it is like the most amazing special effect. Or, or, uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Like the best like stunt I've ever seen where whoever did that had to have gotten seriously hurt <laughs> because, but you know, he didn't, there was no kind of reaction. He, he wasn't like, Oh my head, you yeah. know? Yeah. But, uh, I mean, his leg hit head, weird too. Right. Yeah. He goes like head first on the top of his head on one step and then just like mm. falls. I don't know. It just, it looked really painful. I said the same thing because when so. we saw it, I said, was that a real person? And it was a real person. He was <laughs> yeah. dedicated. Yeah, it was very intense. Um, so hats off to that stunt. <laughs> I also thought when you start seeing the Santa Claus prowling around outside, I think, I think it would have been funny, but the end of the story, if he had seen the dead body and was like, oh, this lady is crazy. I'm going to go someplace else. It's like they're two crazy <laughs> people. Yeah, he starts running away. Call the police. And we should also uh, mention that while this is going on, we find out that her daughter is upstairs. They have a young daughter that's supposed to be sleeping upstairs. Mm. So there's a prowler outside. Her mother just murdered her father around Christmas, and she's all like, Mommy. <laughs> yes. Oh, Mommy. And she's, yeah. Yes. Mm. And then uh, 
I mean, cutting straight to the twist is that uh, this this woman, Joan Collins, she loses track of everything, and her daughter has has woken up and has gone downstairs and has lit the <laughs> maniac Santa Claus inside. So yeah, because she's all like, "When's Santa getting here?" Yeah, and then she yeah. sees him and lets him inside, and he immediately attacks Joan Collins, and the daughter just disappears. Yeah, yeah, we have the no daughter idea just what. goes back upstairs. She's like, "You two get acquainted. I'll go upstairs." <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's kind of weird. I will say there was a jump scare in that segment that actually kind of got me a little bit. And I was just, Ooh. <laughs> which one? <laughs> Where she's like, lo- she's locking up all the doors and everything, and she goes up to the. I guess it's like the gate outside, and his his hand comes out. And you, you just hear him go, <laughs> but I I don't know. I wasn't expecting it or something, and it just kind of like had a little like jump. Was, <laughs> um, now, did you watch this with your by yourself? Yeah. Okay. Just um, myself in my spooky house. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we actually posted on our Instagram uh, Jeff's mood lighting that he had going on. He, he had quite the atmosphere Aww. when he watched this one. Sure. I mean, do we did we like the segment, all of us? Are we oh, gonna? Oh yeah, that was okay. fun. It was definitely fun. I think yeah. I think she was great. She does a lot with uh, minimum dialogue. You know what I mean? She, yeah. I think she. I think I read in the trivia she only has like fourteen lines, even though she's top build um, <laughs> in the movie. And most so. of it's talking. Well, I guess all of it's talking to her daughter. Mm. <laughs> Pretty close, yeah. So. Yeah. Well, the next segment is called Reflection of Death. And this is about a cheating man. Yes, cheating husband and father. His wife is sitting, knitting. Everything's great with her world. Yes. And her husband's like, well, I have to go on a business trip or something. Mm -hmm. And then the business trip is just to like... And, and like an empty apartment with another woman. Ooh la la! And she's uh, packing up, getting yeah. ready to move. I, I guess they're going to move in together, or have he, a love nest somewhere, yeah. or something. And he goes and he kisses his kids goodnight. Yeah. And one of the kids, well, one of the kids wakes up and says, "Goodnight, father." Hmm. And the dad is like, "Goodbye." <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Peace out. <laughs> You're all Deuces. a burden. Um, so yes, he is, you know, meeting his young lover and they decide to drive together to, I guess, a new location at night and what appears to be horrible conditions. I can't see a thing. And they already had like a love nest. Why did he stay there? Yeah. The more I talk about it, the less it makes sense. Um, but, uh, also he, uh, he he keeps noting he's tired and kind of agitated and, um, uh, so she takes over driving, and you know it's a different era, different time, and women can't drive. <laughs> so, so she immediately gets Ow. in an accident. She's uh, looking over at him because he's like having a nightmare. He's like, oh, "No, yeah, no." Yeah, he screams, at, "No!" <laughs> Sorry, I had a nightmare. So she's like trying and to drive are, and take care of him. Have any of you guys ever done that before? Fallen asleep like, in a car up and, and going, "No!" And, and, woke, and woken up like scared. And, no. I've definitely been scared awake before, but uh, I've never like yelled at, See? At, you know upon waking up. It's, it's normally just at, if anything, it's like oh, you know. But I've never been like no. <laughs> I have uh, many, oh, many, really? many years ago. Me and uh, two other friends, we went to see Kids in the Hall in Chicago. They were doing a, a stage tour, and. Uh, 
I was in the back seat <laughs> and it was nighttime and we had been on the road for a while and I just, I dozed off without, you know, I, I don't think I, they knew I was asleep. I just kind of fell asleep in the back seat and I was in the middle, you know, and, uh, I woke up abruptly and all I could see were headlights coming at us. So I, when I woke up, I thought, Oh my God, we're about ready to be like hit a semi dead head on or something. Like I had that sensation of like everyone fell asleep, not just me. You know what I mean? So I woke up and I screamed. I was like, get off the fucking road. Like, I like, I started screaming, like, like, where about you? You know, and it freaked them the fuck out. I mean, both the, both the people up front were like, you know, like, so it scared the shit out of them and they did not let it go for like 30 minutes. They were like, what the fuck is wrong with you? Like, they just kept, you know, looking back at me, like, don't fall asleep. You know, like this this mercilessly railroaded me for the rest of the trip over it. But I mean, I was genuinely scared. I thought we were about. Ready yeah. to get you were sitting in the middle, yeah, in the back, yeah, by yourself. What? Yeah. <laughs> I was trying to like, listen, I was I was younger, and I was trying to like um, interact with them as they were talking and stuff like that, it, you know. And I just fell asleep. <laughs> it's actually a good thing you weren't in the passenger seat because you might have been like that guy and like grabbed the wheel sure. and tried to turn it like no. Get <laughs> But that, yeah, that's but, what that's what happens to our hero in this movie um, or this segment. He. Um, Wakes up and tries to, uh, he, he's convinced they're going to be in a wreck, and he, he grabs the steering wheel of his lover and causes them to wreck. Well, there's like a semi heading towards him. There's something heading towards him. Yeah. So they were about to but he, makes but he it, didn't help. He didn't help at all. I, I got the impression that he made it worse, but yeah. maybe not. Um, I think he did. And to me, it was a slightly comical wreck because <laughs> you see the car, like it goes off the road and there's a fence, but it's only like, it's just wide enough for a car. <laughs> like it's not a full fence. It's just like a part of the fence. And then they drive through it. And as they drive through it, the, the next shot, you can tell it's just like a toy car. For really? Like a second, but, uh, yeah. They, they have a very time, you know, it's fine. It, it, and it's, it's kind of amusing too, like how they kind of give you the, the uh, what do you call it? The feeling of a wreck because mm-hmm. they shoot inside of the car and kind of spin the camera and just have the people screaming yeah. and uh, you know cut to like glass shattering and so they don't actually show a car truly have a wreck. They kind of just give you impressions of it, I guess, maybe to save some money. Mm-hmm. And uh, cut to the fire. I mean, the car is just on fire, and we see kind of the POV <laughs> of the lover or the husband just kind of stumbling around. And uh, he's confused. He's obviously been through something. And he staggers, I think, back home, right, to his wife. Well, at wife. first, he sees a car on fire. Mm. And then, like, a second later, the car is no longer on fire. Mm. So at first, I was like, oh, that car just burned out very quickly somehow. Right, right. And then he sees, like, a homeless man or something. Oh, that's yeah. right. That's doing something. And the homeless man looks up and freaks out and runs away. Mm-hmm. And then he goes home, and that's when you realize, well, no, he, huh? Then he sees a guy on the road, a guy oh, pulls yeah. up right, in a yeah. car, and he's like, "Oh no!" Right. And he drives away from him. And then he goes home, and then you. And this is all some, from his POV, by the way. It's POV because yeah. yeah. at some point, for me, I guess if you're smarter than me, it's clear that there's been a huge time jump that the car has been put out. Mm. I just thought, oh, that car just, just really, I don't know, extinguished very quickly. And then, so he goes home and he sees his wife. She answers the, do- the door and freaks out. Yeah. And then he looks through the window and she's like in the arms of another man being consoled. Right, right. Um, 
So then you kind of start putting the pieces together that, oh, mm. is she, well, one, I was like, is she having an affair? What's going on? Yeah. I still don't realize anything about time or anything. Right. So. It's like kind of confusing. And it should. Yeah, it's it, supposed it's, to be. It's confusing for the, the main character, obviously, too. And he stumbles back to his lover's uh, original apartment. And when she opens the door, she freaks out once again mm. and is upset by his appearance, well, obviously. Yes. Well, no, he, she's blind, so she can't see That's what right. he looks like. So what? she doesn't freak He's, out. He says it's John or whatever his name is, so she knows it's him, but she's blind. I didn't catch that. Because she mentions we were in an accident, I lost my sight. Somehow I missed that. Both I've watched that movie twice now, and I missed that. <laughs> and she and, yeah, and that's when yeah. he sees his reflection. And then he's like, "No, yeah." Oh, before, I, thought, I thought she was as calm as fuck. Be- I didn't understand. Yeah. That before she, she sees the reflection, she mentions that it's been like because her now her it's the same apartment where yeah. he picked her up, but now it's decorated. So right. now she's living she's there. She's got furniture and, and yeah. she mentions that it's been like six years. Oh, it's wow. been a, it's been a while. So yeah. that's the first moment I realized it was a time jump. I don't know yeah. if, you, if you guys knew it before, but that's the first time you re- I realized it was a time jump, mm. which is crazy. So he, I guess he's he's just been asleep in the woods for six years. <laughs> oh, that's actually a decent point. Because he woke up in the same spot. <laughs> <laughs> they didn't bury him. <laughs> They didn't bury him. No one's noticed that there's been a burnt car. That's a good point. I never thought about that. <laughs> but, um, well, I mean, they found her, but they didn't find him. Yeah, well, how does that, any of that work? It doesn't make any sense. Oh, me. they did find the car? Well, I mean, I would assume so because she's fine. She's, I'm sure she like went to the hospital. But they didn't find the car though because you see it's burnt out. Like it's no longer, when he comes to, the car is still there. Maybe they couldn't well, uh, get down to where it was to salvage it. Yeah. So yeah. they just left it to burn, it's, you know, burn out. Yeah. Because somehow she got, you know, out of there alive. and Maybe uh, uh, when he was resurrected, he stumbled to the site of, uh, uh, of where he died, and then <laughs> he woke up. But again, the car is still there. What is, it, what is the car being there have anything to do with it? Because no one found yeah. him. Well, okay. Moving like, on. <laughs> she wasn't rescued. I think she just clawed, cried. How did she know, get out of there? She cl- climbed up the mountain. She's blind. The hill. She wasn't... She just got in a car accident. <laughs> but why would no but, one move the car? Why would they leave the car maybe, there? Like Craig said, maybe they maybe they couldn't get it down yeah, there. Or it, maybe it was uh, like... It was like a uh, weird hill and stuff. So maybe, yeah, there wasn't like equipment. Maybe it wasn't worth <laughs> them to, the, to I mean, spend all the time and energy to get the wreckage out. I, f- I feel like the main reason is obviously uh, they're trying to catch us off guard. So they're trying yeah. to leave as many right. elements the same as they were when we last saw the accident um, so that we don't suspect anything. Because obviously if he woke up and it was like pristine condition and the car wasn't there and you know what I'm saying? Like it would be yeah, even more questions know. in our mind. Yeah. Um, so, I don't know. But yeah. He sees himself in the mirror, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's the punch out is, you know, he realizes why everyone was scared of him. And, and it's, he's, yeah. he's a corpse. He's a reanimated corpse. Now, in between these segments, they keep going back to the... The people. catacombs. Yeah. So, so these people are just—they're in—they're in shock because he asked them when they get there. He says, "Do you know why you're here?" And he basically is like, "Let me tell you what you're about to leave here to do." Mm. So they think, "Oh my gosh, this is what we're gonna do," and they—they they don't believe it because they don't think they will be capable of doing something like that. Mm. So. Yes. Yes. So, and, and each person in the catacombs obviously is a character in each segment. So there's yes. five people, you know, down there with the crypt keeper. Yeah. Um, so it's Joan Collins and the the, the cheating hus- husband. Cheating husband. And the catacombs. Yes. 
Yes. Um, and this is really similar to an H.P. Lovecraft story, if you're a big uh, Lovecraft fan. Um, it's very famous. And spoiler, uh, it's called The Outsider, which has a very similar punch-out um, ending. So I, I kind of feel like the EC Comics people that adapted that probably were influenced by that story because it's a pretty famous short story of his. Um, so... Segment three? Segment three. Mm-hmm. Knocking them out. It's called Poetic Justice. Yeah, oh, I also ju- want to point out yes. that uh, on Wikipedia, it tells like which issues of the comic books each segment was based on. Oh, nice. So this one is from The Haunt of Fear, number 12, from April 1952. What about the... Uh, looking for that issue. <laughs> let's, let's go with the previous segments. Tell us the previous... Oh, the first one was uh, The Vault of Horror, number 35, from March 1954. Mm. And then Reflection of Death was from Tales from the Crypt number 23 from May 1951. Mm. And that was the one that had the uh, the quicksand zombie on the cover. Ah, oh, beautiful. Back there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, this one's Haunt of Fear number 12. Very cool. <laughs> Continue, Kia. Oh. Segment three is called Poetic Justice, and it's about... A kindly elderly gentleman played by Peter Cushing who loves dogs, the neighborhood children, and he lives across the street from a real douchebag. Yeah. <laughs> he's like the quintessential British just I feel like he I feel like he just ups his British accent just to give it that extra yeah. you just want to punch him in the face. <laughs> but he just it's, he lives I guess he lives with his dad. The the British the the younger guy across the street. I guess so. And and he's very concerned about the property value and yes. uh, owning. Yeah, sort of like a aristocrats. Right, right. Yeah. Um, he's upset that this man Peter Cushing's character owns all these dogs. He, mm-hmm. he has like six dogs or something. Mm-hmm. And for some reason, he also I guess doesn't like that neighborhood children go to the house. Well, it's because he um, salvages garbage and no. refurbishes it. Like the toys and everything, so I think um, you know this this dandy uh, Londoner or whatever. He, he's upset at the idea that um, he has a neighbor that's kind of you know a tinkerer and a guy that goes through garbage and and probably thinks it's weird that he's like giving these toys to children uh, in in the neighborhood that are um, recycled um, that sort of thing. So it's not very becoming in his opinion. So yeah. And uh, I feel like one of the main ingredients to this is that Peter Cushing's character, his wife has died, and he's a widower, and uh, he's very into the occult. And we get a couple of scenes of him uh, trying to communicate with his wife from the beyond, and uh, it kind of shows us his uh, daily life. And you see that uh, he reads intensely on the occult, like there's you know volumes in his house and everything. So even though he's a very sweet man, um, he's still mourning his wife, which mm-hmm. and it implies he's, she's been dead for several years too. It's not a recent death. And he talks to her in yeah. a sweet way, just yeah. like let's see what's in the paper today or something. <laughs> um, yeah. Very well played, very sympathetically yeah, played, I think, by by Cushing. And in one scene, he does use yeah. a Ouija board to contact her and yeah, says, "Literal, yeah, something is there something you want to tell me?" Mm-hmm. And then he uses the, I, can, I don't know what it's called, but where you can write it out. Mm-hmm. Um, and it spells danger. Yeah. So. He's like, danger? <laughs> yes. For the children? <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah, he's very selfless. He thinks of them first. Oh, he does yeah. say for the children? Yeah. 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 <laughs> so he's, yeah, he's a very, like, sweet old man, Aww. which is, I mean, 
I, like most people, I've known from Star Wars where he was the bad guy. Sure. So it was like, it was cool to see him in a different, you know, as a different character that is very, like, sweet and nice. Well, and he's very, um, a hole in my horror knowledge is the Hammer horror films, because I think he plays uh, Ben Helsing and Dr. Frankenstein, right. both, you know, in their uh, Dracula and the Frankenstein movies. So um, I, I think he's also played kind of heroic and, you know, hard asses and stuff like that. So I would still think this is, like, really different for him mm-hmm. uh, in the same vein. So It uh, said on IMDb Trivia that he really wanted to do the part, so he took a lower fee. Yeah, I, I read also that um, it, oh, it, yeah. it was a much smaller part originally that didn't even have a real speaking part for the most part. It was kind of like you were supposed to see it all from across the street, and you, you don't really see that much of his his life. And then when he became interested in the part, they expanded it a little bit more to make it a little more substantial for him. When we first watched it, you saw found information that wasn't he mourning like the loss yes. of his real wife? His, his real life wife had died uh, recently. And that's why he was so attracted to the part is um, he basically was using real life stuff to kind of siphon into this, this character and everything. So a lot of what we're seeing is, is real life mourning and everything, which, uh, it's kind of obviously kind of macabre, but it's also kind of fascinating just to see this like great actor, uh, um, uh, you know, kind of like wearing that on his sleeve and everything. So I think that's why it resonates with so many people and it's become a very iconic, you know, um, horror element or whatever. You know, I think so many people have seen the image of Peter Cushing, you know, at the end of this, this segment and everything. So, um, well, the older, the younger guy across the street mm-hmm. because he's so concerned about the property values. Um, and I think Peter Cushing's character, is he like a caretaker in the neighborhood? I forgot what his actual job is. Um, he does something like that because um, um, the young guy wants to get rid of him, but the older guy, who I'm guessing is a young guy's father, says he's so close, or maybe there's another guy that shows up later, says he's so close to retiring. Mm-hmm. Something like that. So I guess he's a caretaker or something. I don't know. But anyway, the younger guy wants to get rid of him, so mm-hmm. he just makes it his sole mission in life to get rid of this guy, so he has the pound come and take all the dogs away. Yeah. And then he, he makes him lose his job as well. He makes that's the first thing. Yeah, yeah. I think he causes him to lose his job. Mm-hmm. Um, and it notes he was very close to his pension. Yeah, yeah. so <laughs> it's like doubly shitty. Yeah. And then oh, th- there's oh, I think the very first thing is there's a neighbor next to Peter Cushing that is really into his garden, mm-hmm. his gardening, his flowers. And so the young guys across the street, the older his, the older guy is like, "There's nothing we can do to get rid of him," something like that. And the young guy is looking at this guy pruning his flowers, and he says, or is there? Hmm. Something like that. Yeah. But anyway, so he goes across the street and, like, digs up this man's yeah, yard. Yeah, ruins his garden, his roses and everything. So that Peter yeah. Cushing will get blamed for it, well, I guess. They, they blame his dogs. His That's dogs. why his dogs okay. get taken That's away. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So he makes life very miserable for poor old uh, Peter. Yeah. And uh, also he goes around all the parents telling them, like, hey, don't let your kids hang out with this guy. He's a big creep. His his inside of his house looks horrible, and it's, yeah. it's filled with garbage, and, you know, it's not safe for these kids. So the parents believe this aristocratic guy and uh, tell their children not to interact with Peter, even though uh, they love him. They clearly like to hang out over there and everything. And the Um, next shot after that is him looking out the window. He's like, where are the children? (laughs) 
gosh, it's, yeah, it's so it's really sad. Rough. It's very rough. And, uh, and the worst of it all. Yes. Oh. You go for it. Oh. The worst of it all is it's Valentine's Day. Uh. And this young whippersnappers, he says, <laughs> we're going to, you know, basically I'm going to send him a lot of Valentines. He's going to get a Valentine from everybody. <laughs> so the mailman comes and he gets all these Valentine's Day's cards. And he's um very excited about them, and he's opening them up, and they're all like horrible Valentine's Day rhymes that yeah. you would think a elementary school child would do. But mm. I guess this young guy just sat at his desk and just came up with all these amazing things. Yeah, it's really strange that he took that much time yeah. uh, out of his life to torment this old man. Yeah, and... it's like roses are red, violets are blue. I can't even think of anything. Violets are blue. Um <laughs> I don't know. Everyone loves someone, but everyone hates you. Something yeah, I like that, that. I think that's yeah. literally one of them. Something um, along those lines. Yeah. And he. Yeah, like if his yeah. friend. Oh, go ahead. Oh, no. You go. I'm going to say it'd be funny if it's like they have a scene where his friends are like, hey, man, let's go out tonight. He's like, I'm sorry. I can't I have to sit here and write mean poetry to an old man. <laughs> My mic's booked. I mean, this man is like 80 years old. He's kind. The viewer, we can see inside his house and it's not full of garbage it's not you know dirty right. and and it's just really i think that's what was so touching the first time we watched it it was just so sad how someone could one bully anybody but then bully an elderly person mm. that's like <laughs> going through something yeah uh, it's yeah. just horrible it's funny i uh as i was watching i was like i wonder how old peter cushing was when he made this and uh I, I I think he was playing older. Yeah, I think he, was he definitely like, was. Like fifty nine <laughs> when uh, when they shot it, I was like, whoa! Yeah. Like he looks much older in this. Definitely. I compare everyone in their fifties to Brad Pitt, so he would have been like four yeah. years older than Brad Pitt now. That's <laughs> <laughs> yeah, rough. I mean, and uh, I think he hung in there until the early nineties, and I don't think yeah. yeah he he was around for quite a while after that movie, um, and he looks even more. Um, Frail when he's Tarkin this a few years right. later in Star Wars. So um, he was always kind of a slight guy, though. If you, if you look at him in, in yeah. younger uh, movies, uh, he, he's always kind of a skinny, frail-looking man. Um, but uh, yeah, all these uh, <laughs> these Valentine's Day cards, and, and I'm sure piled on with all these other elements going on, kind of push him over the edge, and um, uh, we. Or you know we see the the aristocratic guy. He's like, hey, we haven't seen uh, we haven't seen this old man in quite some time. Let's go over to his house and break it in. And they do. And a they note that his house looks great on the inside. They're very yeah. shocked. And B they find Peter Cushing dead. Mm. He is he has hung himself. Yeah. And, and the older guy was never against Peter Cushing. Yeah. He just was. He was just like, hey, you should just let it go. Don't worry about it. He just mm. didn't do anything to stop this guy. Yeah, which is kind of weird. Which you think he worse. would be like, uh, there's other more important things for us to do than this. Uh, here's a job for you yeah. to do. <laughs> like, it's, you think he would try to <laughs> occupy, you know, his younger, I, I assume it's his son, too. Mm. Um, but no, he let them just totally destroy this guy's life. Um, and he's a yeah. neighbor that lives across the street. Mm. So, very strange. And then uh, it does hint at the remorse of the father character because he pays for the funeral of uh, Peter Cushing. But um, cut to a year later, and I think anyone that likes horror movies and tells from the crypt knows where this is going. Um, uh, Peter Cushing comes back. 
mm-hmm. from the dead. I think there's hints of it too, because when they go into his house, there's books. Yeah, yeah. And I think one of the books is like Life After Death. Or right, right. Like All that. the occult books and everything. It's kind of hinted <laughs> at that maybe he's got a plan. Yeah. But um, yeah, Peter Cushing comes back as a zombie. He looks gnarly. It's mm-hmm. great. Some really interesting makeup effects and uh, portrayal on his part as an actor. It's it's pretty mm-hmm. out there. And uh, he kills his rival, this young man, and also writes a really mean poem about mm-hmm. uh, how he's heartless. And we discover that yeah. um, the poem is wrapped around the man's heart that yeah. Peter Cushing is yeah, torn his, out of him. His father discovers it mm. the next the, morning. The poem is, uh, happy Valentine's Day. You were mean and cruel right from the start. Now you really have no. And then he opens it up and his <laughs> human heart still beating. <laughs> And I thought the heart was actually, I thought it actually looked, the, the red on the heart actually looked normal to me. It looked like a real organ. <laughs> it, it, it was yeah. a good special effect. Um, so, yeah. So, I guess then he just goes back to the graveyard. Yeah. Buries himself. It's one of those things where last night when I, or the other night when we watched it again, I did kind of stop to think about it a little bit. Like, I know it's a Tales from the Crypt uh, type story. And we have to have supernatural elements for it to really work and to punch out fun. But a piece of me was like, why didn't Peter Cushing just go over there as a live person, kill this dude because he's an asshole, and then just kill himself? Like, why did he go through the trouble of killing himself, resurrecting himself as a zombie, and then killing him? It it seemed like an odd thing to do. But otherwise, we wouldn't have all the cool visuals and stuff like that. And also, because we discussed it, I don't think he, maybe being a zombie gave him extra strength because I think as a as before he, as a human, pretty frail. He was extremely frail, and yeah. I think the young guy would have taken him easily. I don't even think he would have been able to cross the room. He walked very slowly. <laughs> <laughs> oh, uh, so you mentioned how, like, what did he do after he killed him? He just go back to the graveyard, and bury himself. Yeah, again? yeah. It immediately made me think of that episode of The Simpsons where the Treehouse of Horror, where everybody's like. Turns into zo- all the zombies come out, and at the end, after they have their battle or whatever, oh, they're yeah. all going back to the graveyard to get back in yeah. their graves. <laughs> and then, John Smith, 1877. Like, oh, sorry, my bad. <laughs> That's pretty funny. Yeah, I, I mean, you know, again, it, it makes sense. He he needed that zombie yeah. strength to really rip out his heart and oh, get everything accomplished it and does everything. Take strength too. Yeah, like you said, he may have overcome uh, just an elderly Peter Cushing. Walking over with a cane to be like, I'm gonna get yeah. ya. I'm gonna rip your heart out <laughs> and write a really mean poem <laughs> <laughs> on a giant piece of paper. <laughs> All right. Yeah, he was such a nice guy. He might not have been able to also do that as a human. He might mm. not have been able to carry that out as a human. He needed mm. that extra that zombie edge. Zombie edge. Yeah. So let's hear episode four. It's called, I wish you were here. I don't get it. By Craig's mm. favorite band, Incubus. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I love that Incubus. He doesn't like most 90s bands that I like. Anyway. I don't like most bands you like, period. <laughs> <laughs> hmm. Okay. Um, this is called, Wish You Were Here. Mm. And... Um, I'm on Wikipedia, too, um, too, so it it shows that it was taken from The Haunt of Fear, number 22, from 1953, and it's just a take on the monkey's paw, so this... Yes. This this is is when Baffled 
me and Craig a little bit because... Okay, well, Wikipedia describes the main man as an ineffective, ruthless businessman. Because we found, we thought he was the most innocent of all the people in the catacombs. <laughs> yeah. But, um, he was the one that's like, oh, no, don't do this. Haven't you heard of the monkey's paw? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's like he's close to, fin- it says he's ineffective and a ruthless businessman who's close to financial ruin. But he's been, like, talking to an accountant that I thought was going to help him with his finances. Yeah. But anyways, because go- him and his wife are going through their house, I guess, talking about the, the all these things they've collected that they need to sell. Or yeah, they basically of. have like a, a lot of high-priced antiques that they can sell yeah. back to kind of, you know, equal out everything and yeah, not he's be trying in to, financial ruin. He's trying to improve his situation, but <laughs> that doesn't matter. <laughs> anyway. Which is funny because like, when they were walking around the house, and they're mm-hmm. like, all of these great things we've collected <laughs> over the years. And I'm just like, that is a hideous house. Yeah. <laughs> it was. Like, everything in there just looks like garbage yeah. to me. It though. did look like I an just, antique store. You know, like, it it wasn't a, yeah. a room that you could relax in. It was a room that yeah. no one ever goes into. <laughs> yeah, it was just really ugly to me. I was like, well, maybe it's a good thing you guys have to get rid of some of this stuff. <laughs> yeah, and this... Uh, this couple, you know, they're going through things, and they instantly come upon uh, a statue that uh, seems to have some sort of mystical properties that they've forgotten about. Uh, I guess they they bought it and just never looked at it closely until uh, this very moment. And uh, they realize that the statue can grant them wishes. And the wife of the duo is very intrigued and wants to just, you know, go straight out of the gate with it and start making wishes. But the husband is very like, hey, haven't you ever heard of the, the story of the monkey's paw and how, you know, it, you can be granted these wishes, but you'll be met with, like, sevenfold uh, bad luck and everything. Once again, he's trying to do the right thing. Yes. <laughs> and she's like, poppycock, this is... <laughs> <laughs> that is just, that's just a story. This is real life, damn it. So, yeah, so she just goes for it, and she's just like, I want to be rich again. Rich, damn you, you know, and yeah. and uh, nothing. Lots and lots of money. Yeah, give me all the money in the world. <laughs> and uh, he's just like, well, very well. You've made, a, you've made a wish. I shall leave now. And the husband leaves, instantly gets in a car wreck and dies. And... Um, <laughs> Yeah, you know, his accountant uh, calls the wife and basically says, I'm sorry to tell you, but um, your husband is dead. He's, he died uh, in a car accident. And um, But the silver lining is uh, you have a lot of money. He had a great <laughs> life insurance policy, so you're rich again. And uh, she's very distraught. Yeah, to her credit, she yes. is distraught. But no, no, she yeah. desperately wants him to return. And obviously, as a fan of horror and the monkey's paw, and tells him the crypt. You know where this is going. <laughs> she uh, decides to haphazardly uh, make another uh, wish mm-hmm. to bring him back. Yeah, she um, says, "I want, I want him back, just like he was before the accident." Yes, and this is, by the way, the accountant has has come to the apartment at this point and is also urging her, like, "Hey, listen." monkey's paw, bad things will happen, something bad happened from your first wish, it's only going to get worse. And she thinks she can trick it and, you know, make a very specific yeah. wish and it'll be okay. And sure enough, uh, in a really funny sequence, uh, a group of morticians, all dressed alike, bring uh, a coffin in and uh, <laughs> open it up and the husband is inside the coffin and uh, he wakes up. Yeah. And he's screaming. No, oh, like, no, go ahead. Yeah. She, she wishes that he was back like the way he was mm-hmm. the second before the wreck. Yes. 
but uh, it turns out that he died of a heart attack. Oh, and so yes. He shows up as a dead body, yes. and that's when she makes the third one. Oh, I forgot. There's, a, okay, okay. there's someone on a motorcycle that's chasing him. Oh. And he looks in the mirror, the rearview mirror, and the it's like a skeleton that's driving the mm. motorcycle or something. So obviously he has a heart attack. Yes. Yeah. I forgot about that detail. Yes. So, yeah. um, yes. So he she is he, he is brought back just as he was right before the wreck <laughs> as a dead man, and uh, she's very upset once again. Oh, there's there's a. I found a flaw. I'll let you go, but I found a flaw. Very well. Yes. And uh, she decides I'll make another very specific wish, and I want him back to life. I want him to never die and, you know, just be be with me forever, forever. or whatever. Yes, live forever. Yeah. And uh, her husband wakes up in the coffin <laughs> in agony. He's just screaming his head off, and the accountant is like, don't you realize he was embalmed? He was embalmed. <laughs> You know, and, and we realize yeah, that the fluid is burning him from the yeah. inside. <laughs> so yeah. he's he's in a lot of pain and is not regenerating. He's just going to be in agony. Yeah. And um, for whatever reason, she decides to kill him again, and she can't because her wish was for him to live forever. So and she, she tries to kill him in the worst way possible. Yeah, she takes like <laughs> a chopping him up. Yeah, she, she takes like a samurai sword off the off the wall <laughs> and starts just like hacking him apart. And it's very graphic. You see his intestines poke out, and mm. and he's yeah. just screaming like, "Why are you doing this to me?" You know that whole thing. <laughs> and why she doesn't cut off his head, I don't know. But she just that might not goes, work either. Goes for the, well, it probably wouldn't. But I would go for the head before I would go for his internal organs. Like, but then I asked, him. why couldn't the accountant just use the, the, the statue? Why can he make a wish? Wouldn't it start over with someone else? Yeah, but it would be... It would continue down the route of bad luck, though. So this I would think any wish that he would make would just double down on the shittiness. If he was like, I want yeah. him to be out of his pain, there would he, be some kind of weird take on that where he would, uh, you know... She needs to sell the property, buy a whole... Like, buy a lot... And then bury him in cement <laughs> so no one can hear him. Because well, I, I don't know what else you could do. Well, you could uh, burn the body to complete ash. That's a good point. Right? If, when, if that, that works. I mean, supernaturally, something would happen, though, where, like, the ashes would still be screaming. I can still feel it. I can or still maybe, feel it. Maybe he Why can't. are you doing this? Maybe he won't yeah. burn. Yeah. But the real flaw that I just realized yes. is that in the second before he di- the accident, yes. he died of a heart attack, but he, went, he wasn't embalmed. He wouldn't have been embalmed until long after, so he should have been fine. That's true. <laughs> it really doesn't make that much sense. He, he would still be dead because he died of a heart attack, so they, but he wouldn't be. He wouldn't have been embalmed. The phrasing of her they, wish would imply he would just come back as a corpse, yeah. not an embalmed corpse. Well, I was going to say, is uh, was there any kind of like jump ahead in time, like after the wreck, and it was maybe it had been a couple days, and then she was like, "Oh wait, I can make a wish," or did? I can't remember. But I mean, her, her wish was just like immediately. Or her wish was like this. I, I, you know, I want him back immediately or the second before the accident. Yeah, like how he was before the accident. Oh, so yeah. he should have just. Your, Kia's yeah. totally right. He should have just come back as a as a dead corpse, and then she would That's have been. True. Oh, he had a heart attack. Well, I want him back normal immediately before the heart yeah. attack. Yeah, he's bullshit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this story yeah, for children is, is bullshit. Right. That's a whole. It's a big old plot. Yeah. But again, I still don't feel like this man did anything. He was ruthless. This is true. But he was trying to, it caught up with him and he was doing the right thing. He wasn't doubling yeah. down. He was going to sell his stuff. He tried to keep his wife. If anything, she probably should have been down there been in, down the in the catacombs. Yeah. 
Yeah. <laughs> it, what, he was kind of an odd choice to be down there, but yeah. listen. But we know I, well, I don't want to spoil anything. <laughs> well, um, I, I did like this segment <laughs> just because it was so over the top and silly. And I think they were, they did a good job of kind of leaning into the comedic elements a little bit because mm. even when he comes back and he's screaming and everything, <laughs> like I know it's supposed to be kind of scary, but it's also, there, there's a tongue in cheek bit to it. You know what I mean? Like yeah. it's, it's kind of silly how they keep doubling down on these wishes and it makes it worse and worse. And that she pulls the samurai sword off the wall to chop <laughs> them up. Like it's just absurd. And, and it's almost like a farce at that point. Don't they also remove your organs? When you get embalmed, I would think parts of them are because he had like everything intact. Yeah, it looked it looked very uh, very fresh. <laughs> so I don't know. Well, so I guess Let's... this uh, this might be the most flawed of them, maybe. <laughs> but anyway, it was still good. What's uh... I don't know. The, the last one seemed a little. There were parts of it where I had to be like, okay, this is a Tales from the Crypt movie. I, can't <laughs> I had to do that, that the whole time. I think that this. was one of my favorite. <laughs> first time we watched it that was one of my favorite ones on the second time it was less involved than I thought for some reason in my mind I had this man going through like this crazy maze of things let's talk about the um, let's talk about the segment yeah my segment is called blind alleys and it's about a former major like in the army who becomes the director of um, a home for elderly blind men yeah Seems, seems to be, yeah. Um, it's him and his, like, German Shepherd dog, Shane, which made me think of Shane. Oh, from, the like, Western, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. <laughs> um, so, and he tries to run a tight ship. He, you know, doesn't, he cuts back on their food portions, and he won't fix their, he won't fix the, it's winter, so they don't have heat, so he won't fix that. Well, it's, it's not even... It's even worse because it's not that it's it runs. He just turns it off at eight eight o'clock oh, in the evening because yeah, yeah. he's like, you guys should be in bed and me. bundled up, so you yeah. don't need the heat anymore. He runs it as if they're soldiers, and yeah. he's you know, and and they're like, no, we're blind. That's, yeah. You know, yeah. it's like you picked the you picked such a vulnerable population, like <laughs> put your like elderly yeah. blind people that obviously don't have the means to take care of themselves and. Mm. And it seems like it's implied that like whatever money they they get f- to run this place, he spends it all on himself. Oh, like yeah. Definitely. Big steak dinners and stuff, but he won't give them any extra money to like have a decent meal or turn the heat on or yeah. anything yeah, like that. Yeah, they're eating slop, and it shows him in his room, and he's drinking wine, and he has a bowl of fruit and steak, and then he has yeah. the audacity to give a piece of food to his dog, yeah. and then he has a nice fireplace mm-hmm. and, and, and a yeah. lavish like he has uh, portraits on the the wall mm-hmm. and uh, a library that looks very nice. Like he's definitely furnished it top yeah. of the line. When yeah, they're living in squalor, and his explanation mm-hmm. is. Can't even see anything. Who cares? Why do you need anything? <laughs> you know, why do you need any comfort? Because you're blind, which makes no sense at all. Um, yeah. and, and the kind of protagonist of the story, the, the leader of the blind people, um, points out to him, you know, in our case, you know, we're blind. We're, we've been lifelong blind people. And all of our other senses are heightened. So when something tastes bad, it tastes even worse to us. When we're cold, mm-hmm. it's ten times cold to us. You know, like everything's kind of heightened yeah. and it's open to us, open wounds. And uh, it, it does not affect the major at all. He's just like, very well, get out. You I know? found that. Well, it's not hard to be moved by the elderly people in this because they're all 
good people. It doesn't show them being a-holes or anything Yeah, they're like all that. nice to each other and kind of like a little family and... Yeah, you know. and the, like, yeah, when they have, when they're eating in their cafeteria and they have to, they get up to go, you know, to get more food, they kind of put their hands on each other's backs so they can kind of feel where they're going. Mm-hmm. And, um, and like the leader of the blind people, he was very just moving. You just felt so he felt really bad for them, but then at the same time, you go, "This guy's a badass, though." <laughs> well, and he's a. Yeah, the, oh, go ahead, Jeff. The the leader of the uh, the blind people. He was the guy from uh, A Clockwork Orange. I was gonna say that. He was like, uh, "What was the line?" Uh, I'm glad you appreciate good wine. Because <laughs> <laughs> um, I think he's a Stanley Kubrick player too. Because I'm pretty sure he was in a couple other I said Stanley Kubrick Barry, movies. Barry Lyndon. Yeah. Was the other Stanley Kubrick, which I never seen either of those. <laughs> you never seen a Clockwork Orange Mm-mm. at all? Um, I was trying to find. Yeah, Patrick McGee Carter mm-hmm. was his name. Yeah. So yeah. Party McGee. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, so go ahead and describe the rest oh. of it to us. It comes to a head when there's a in the dormitory where the the elderly people are sleeping. There's a guy that we've seen early in the in the segment that just has a really bad cough, mm-hmm. and um, so he appears again. He's coughing, and the main guy, the the leader of the blind people, like gives him his blanket and covers mm-hmm. him up. They definitely take care of each other, and then he he goes to the major's office, and he's like, "We need a doctor," um, and so he begrudgingly. Calls a doctor. No, he doesn't call a doctor. He just goes, checks it Yeah, himself. he wants to personally look and yeah. make sure it's not bullshit, basically. And then he um, he's, he checks his pulse, and he's like, no, oh, he's dead. Mm. He looks for a second like he, like he's like, oh, my God, this man's dead. What have I done? But then he's like, he's dead. Right. And then the, 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 every, all the other blind people slowly start waking up and standing up. And then he looks around, and I think he kind of goes, oh, I'm outnumbered here. Mm. Um. And then I guess that's it. I guess he just leaves and goes back yeah. to his, his room. And <laughs> I guess he was going to deal with it in the morning. I don't, I don't know. He's <laughs> but at that point, the leader yeah. is like, there's going to be some changes around here. Right, right. So, And then they band together like no group of people have ever banned <laughs> together before. Yes. <laughs> I mean, long story short. Certainly not blind people. <laughs> <laughs> they, they come up with a very elaborate plan, kidnap the major, and his dog, <laughs> and uh, sequester them to little, you know, little holding cells. And uh, we see, like, a montage of them building and, uh, you know, hammering and working together to, to build this elaborate something. We don't quite know what it is. Yeah. And the, ma- the majors, are, they're in, like, uh, they're, I guess they're all their cells, but you can't see them. So all he hears is noise. Yeah. And his dog is in a cell next to him, and he hears his dog barking, mm-hmm. and he's like, please, you got to feed my dog. He's going to go crazy. And um, I like that the, the leader is outside the, the, the major's door when the major said that. You got to mm-hmm. feed my dog. He's going to go crazy. And the leader goes, yes, he will, or something like mm-hmm. that. And you, he, it shows that this man clearly cared more for his dog. Like, he cares that his dog is going to go crazy if he doesn't eat. But you don't care that all these blind people are going to go crazy if they don't eat. So I think it's interesting because oh, yeah. both the dog and the blind people go crazy because they didn't eat. Yeah. Well, <laughs> a form of crazy, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah it's not. Yeah, it's a good crazy. Um, a productive crazy. But yes, we uh, 
<laughs> Eventually, the cell is opened, and the major stumbles out, and he realizes they built this very elaborate maze uh, underneath the facility, and it kind of gives him a taste of what it might like might be like to be mm-hmm. blind and have to kind of use his other senses yeah. and and it's pretty intense. Uh, <laughs> These blind people must have a lot and, uh, of free time. Like they, well, they had nothing they but dis- time, I guess. They disappear for hours though, and no one was like, "Where where are they?" <laughs> <laughs> well, they they kidnap. Also, well, they, they they handle another person that. Yeah. Seems to be an authority figure at one point. He's like, hey, what's going on here? And yeah. they just kind of like... They throw him in a closet. Yeah, they throw him. <laughs> so, you know, I can always... And just in case you missed that, uh, Craig said that a group of blind people built an elaborate maze. <laughs> I think that was like... It's not a maze. I thought well, it was a like, maze, though. Th- it's really just a straight corridor. Uh, well, uh, Go ahead, it's, There's some turns, but it's not like... The, the the point is like I had to kind of like suspend my disbelief because I I was like I I can't imagine even though there's like twenty of these <laughs> like elderly blind men it seems like it'd be really hard to plan this out and be like okay we're gonna go from here over to here and then I'm gonna need you to like cut some things this length right. and stuff like I don't know I just how they measure like, kind of turn that yeah. yeah there's all kinds of and then uh, yeah. but these would have been men knowing. that would have been part of the greatest generation. So I wouldn't put anything past them. I think they're even older than the greatest generation. Exactly. They? So they're even greater than the greatest generation. <laughs> I, I would hate to be the blind guy that had to build the razor blade walls. Yeah. Well, that's what, as Kia pointed out, it's not a literal maze, but it's uh, like twist and turns leading to a corridor that yeah. uh, slowly narrows and there are razor blades all over the walls. Yeah. So when the major has to walk through them, uh, he's having to kind of slide through and avoid all these razors that are poking out. He keeps getting cut. Yeah. Uh, it's on his hands and everything. And it's, it's very, if you're claustrophobic, it's a pretty rough scene, I would, I would imagine. Um, it's like the worst fun house ever. <laughs> yeah, definitely. <laughs> I also noticed he was like, as he was going through the razor blade between the razor blade walls, he's like holding his hands up. Yeah. And I was like, wouldn't it be, you'd be less likely to get cut if you just put them to your side, but I don't know. Well, once again, uh, we wouldn't get the, the visual of him cutting his hands if he did it yeah. smartly. He so. also, wasn't he wearing like a, a coat? Yeah. I was like, pretty. why don't you just like t- at least take it that off <laughs> Listen, maybe as a he barrier? Hasn't, he hasn't eaten in days. His, his dog is stressed out. He's worried. <laughs> he's not thinking like a normal Mm. person rational you guys are being way too hard on the major he's been through a lot he deserves it um but yes he is bloodied and uh, just beleaguered and he stumbles you know to the last part of the maze or the corridor and he realizes oh they're, they're leading me to my dog and they open the door and the dog jumps out and attacks him and um he he, he very psh- sheepishly tries to run away and just runs into the bat right back into the razor wall again. And that that does not go well. Um, and yeah, he's he's fades to black and you just assume the dog eats him alive. Chow down. Hmm. Yeah. Chow down wide load. (laughs) Oh, little Heather's actions. Stand by me. Oh, (laughs) (laughs) and then we get back to, the catacombs, and that's when it's revealed that, because at first all these people think when we leave the catacombs, this is what we're going to do, but it turns out 
And I'm sure you can probably figure it out because everyone's pretty savvy by now that they're yeah. already dead. Yes. And they've already done these horrible things. Yes. So. And, and one of the guys tries to run away and he <laughs> tries to run out the door and it, he falls into the, a pit of fire. <laughs> And then you're like, oh, they're in hell. And then the weird thing to yes. me was when all the rest of them yes. were like, well, I guess since we're already here, we might as well just go yes. jump in this pit of fire, too. That's what <laughs> they all just walk to the yeah, door. Yeah, they're very calm about it. Yeah. I feel like I would have been, you know, please, I'm sorry, <laughs> something. But they all had accepted their fate, I guess. Mm. Like, Can we just hang out in here with you? Can I be a crypt keeper too? Yeah, there, there would definitely be. I mean, if these people are as, as selfish as the stories imply, I think there would definitely be a person that would just like sit down and be like, "Well, it's not the best scenario, but I am going to just hang out here and <laughs> chillax for eternity." So, or you think that they would like band together and try to throw the crypt keeper out? Oh, you know? <laughs> I wonder what would happen if they tried. He just like bounces back. <laughs> <laughs> You can't kill me. I'm already dead. <laughs> so uh, that brings us to the end of this Tales from the Crypt journey. I like that it was more adult. And maybe and maybe it's because it's British, it's different. I feel like Americans tend to, I don't know, I don't know, maybe add too much humor or have really wacky characters or something. That, that's kind of fair because uh, I, I do think that there is a lot of humor in this movie, but it's it's a little bit more subdued and reined in, whereas okay. yeah. Creepshow and the HBO Tells from the Crypt, they definitely push it totally way further yeah. where it's just kind of like, okay, you know, it's funny and it's so funny that we're just going to kind of lean into it. British humor is drier, right. I guess. And I, I think sometimes I like that because sometimes it can go too hammy mm. or too, like, just ridiculous. But I think I like the drier, more sarcastic well, it's just, humor. With me growing up with Creepshow and Tales from the Crypt TV show, um, like, I, it's, it's interesting watching this without any nostalgia going up against things that have a lot of nostalgia for me. So... Um, but yeah, I, I, I agree with you guys. I think it holds up really well. Let's let's grade this fucker. Oh, go for it, Kia. I'm gonna give it an A minus. No, oh. because obviously we did we did pick up a little some flaws, but I think in the moment, it's easy to kind of overlook them or not even really mm-hmm. notice them. So I'm gonna go with A minus. Jeff, uh, probably go like a B. B, solid B. Yeah. Yeah, um, I liked it. I agree too. I mean, with, with I'll, I'll go, I'll split, kind of go in the middle. I'll do it a B plus, because I, I do think the moralizing in this, it's like I think it almost is supposed to be funny, but it's so over the top that sometimes I'm like, you know, <laughs> it, it, it's, it's like too you, obvious. yeah, it's very obvious what's going to happen and everything. But that's part of the fun of it in a way too. So it's kind of it's maybe a little bit unfair to judge it on those merits. So. Plus, I guess that the segment's being so short, you kind of have to make your point oh, yeah. really quickly. You can't be subtle when, when a story is basically a short film. I mean, they have like 8 to 15 minutes to do each one. Mm-hmm. So, And they're all so unique and different, the segments. They're all just really interesting. That's a good point. They, they mix together really well. Yeah. So, yeah, we're giving it, I guess, basically a B plus all around if you average it up. Yeah. So we highly recommend Tells from the Crypt. Check it out on Tubi. Yeah. I'm Jeff. I'm Kia. And I'm Craig. And And we just reviewed Tales from the Crypt. Hey, this is Jason Marsden. I'm here on the Half-Assed 
horror cast. You know it's not half-assed. Uh, Jeff and Craig, they're not half-assed at all. They got all their information here. Appreciate them for having me. Well, Dash, you have anything you want to say? Oh, yeah. Yeah, Jason. Get, get, step, step aside. See, I, I think, uh, I think uh, Jeff and Craig are pretty weird, but, you know, I think I'd rather them be weird than dead. Anyone want a, uh, a black cow at the world of stuff? Follow me. Every time we get together to record this motherfucking podcast, we talk about <laughs> things that are making us scared. It's a segment in which we talk about things in the horror community that we want our listeners to be aware of. Sometimes they're recommendations, sometimes they're rants. Jeff, kick us off. Set the tone. <laughs> well, what's making me scared is a show that I discovered, uh, I don't know, two or three weeks ago on Shudder called Cursed Films. Oh, yeah, you mentioned this and, to me, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's really well done. It's, uh, they do, uh, they do, I think it's maybe like a half an hour or so on each movie, but I think there's only like six or seven episodes. There's The Exorcist and The Crow and um, Twilight Zone, the movie, and... You know, there's there's a, they they do all the ones that are kind of like poltergeist, the ones that are kind of like have the classically uh, like troubled cursed film, troubled productions slash exactly uh, people having misfortune after the movie is wrapped type stuff. Yeah, so like the you know we talked about the crow mm-hmm. on an episode a while back, and I think the crow episode is uh, a great companion to that uh, podcast that we did because they. They sum everything up, and it's all in one place. And the, they show how the the bullet got lodged in the the gun and all that stuff. So uh, it's really well done. Mm-hmm. It's a really well made show, but it's also a real big downer <laughs> <laughs> for especially like the Twilight Zone episode. That that was one that I saved for last, and I kind of was like, maybe I should. I don't know if I want to watch this because mm-hmm. I knew kind of what happened. And I was like, you know what? I've watched all of the rest of them. I might as well watch this one, and I did. And whew. Huge bummer, but it's uh, it's really well done though. It's it's a it's a good show. And this is on Shutter. Yeah. yeah. Cool. Well, hmm. Kia. Well, mine is a book, as usual, and it's called the Southern Book Club's Guide to Slaying Vampires by Grady Hendrix, huh. who. We've mentioned before, he's written Horror Store, um, We Sold Our Souls, Paperbacks from Hell, and one of my favorites, and I think his best book, My Best Friend's Exorcism. It's just, that book is just flawless from beginning to end. Um, But this one is also a really good book. Um, My Best Friend's Exorcism was told from the perspective of the kids. This book is told from parents and what happens when crazy things start happening in the na- their neighborhood. And it takes place in the 80s and 90s, so that was fun. Um, so I just, yeah, I really like all the books that he's put out so far. So what is it called again? I forgot. The Southern Book Club's Guide to Slaying Vampires. Yes. Yeah, I'm a big yeah. fan of Grady Hendrix, too. And I haven't read the book yet, mm-hmm. but uh, I plan to soon. He actually, uh, I guess on Goodreads, he contacts people, like mass mm-hmm. email style, and was basically urging me to like read his book and everything. And I wanted to be all like, I already bought it for my girlfriend. <laughs> Leave me alone, you know. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it's a good, good nice. picks. Uh, my thing that is making me scared is um, a local artist, and a friend of the show, 
This is uh, Glenn Hughes. And uh, you can find him on Instagram under Glenn Hughes Art. And that's Glenn with two N's. And, uh, Fancy. Yeah, he, he's just a really good artist. And uh, he does like kind of stylized, you know, like iconic figures. And a lot of them are horror figures. Um, that's kind of what ropes it into this show. But uh, there's musicians and there's pop culture figures. And sometimes they're really obscure. And sometimes they're front street, you know, Jimi Hendrix, uh, you know, like someone that everyone knows. Um, but I just really like his art style. And he's local here to Middle Tennessee. And uh, he was cool enough to come to our uh, Halloween 3 show and, you know, our show and everything. I felt so bad afterwards because I was like, I don't know why I didn't think of him to, to, to invite him to try to do a piece for us because I think he would have come up with something really interesting. But um, check him out on uh, Instagram and y- you'll find his website there too. It's glennhughesart.com. Mr. Car- or does he have like um, classic celebrities? Yeah, yeah, because um, one of his recent ones is actually um, a really cool one of Charles Lawton. From Island of Lost Souls. Okay, cool. Um, and also why it's specific to this episode is uh, he has a great uh, illustration of the Peter Cushing zombie from Tales from the Crypt. Hmm. And uh, I bought a print of it, actually, because he was at a local show recently. And um, I bought one of those one, one of those prints. He has some cool ones of, like, gremlins. and uh, Oh, and I bought, bought you a Willy Wonka one, Kia. That he oh, that's done. him? Yeah. So that's co- oh. Yeah, yeah. So he's, he's oh, yeah, local. That's, yeah, that, I, that's at my office. Yeah. Um, yeah, so that's a great one. Great, great colors and, you know, a lot of really cool pop art and everything. Oh. But um, I'll probably throw up on our Instagram, um, if, if I can get him, you know, permission from him, uh, his portrait of the Peter Cushing from, from this film to when this episode drops. I want to so. know if he has some, some more classic Hollywood people since Craig and I have become connoisseurs oh. of TCM. It's all true. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think he definitely does. Did Maybe you like s- a Robert Mitchum one or something. Oh, oh his, yeah, John Cazale. Uh, his website, he's got like Marty Feldman and Bruce Lee and mm. Gilligan. And so I mean, it's all over the place, yeah. The that, yeah. But, he, but he also, does he do them like that, but also with color? Yeah, okay. I think he, he likes to post a lot of his just sketches or, you know, just straight, like sometimes he'll use even like Sharpies and just, you know, yeah. straight on a Bristol pad, draw something out. Yeah, I've got yeah. that one too, Jeff. Jeff is oh, really? showing us a portrait he did of uh, Rod Serling, which is really cool. Nice. Yeah. The Willy Wonka one looks great. Yeah. So, yeah, I would like some, because I know we, we do like horror art a lot, but now I kind of want to do classic Hollywood art. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> I want to get a little fancy. So yeah, that's that's Glenn Hughes' art, and again, he'll be when this episode drops. Uh, you can go to our Instagram, and you'll see the image of his Peter Cushing zombie, and you can follow that to find out more about Glenn. So nice. that's what's making me scared. Yes. Jeff, it is your choice yes. to pick the next movie. My choice for the next episode is the 1987 kid horror classic, The Gate which is streaming for free on Tubi right now. Check it out next episode. Thanks for joining us. Stay still. Oh, God. Thanks for joining us. (laughs) Stay safe out there. Keep slamming that evil. Keep butts. Oh, yeah, you did it. (laughs) I love it. Thanks, guys. (laughs) Hiya. Thank you for listening to the Half-Assed Horrorcast. You can find us on Instagram at Half-Assed Horrorcast. Facebook at Half-Assed Horror, Twitter at H.A. Horrorcast, 
And you can send us an email at halfasthorrorcast at gmail.com or visit our website, halfasthorrorcast.com. Thank you.